Brothers and sisters, if you would take your Bibles and open with me to the book of Hebrews. As Danny mentioned, we are in chapter 5, starting with verse 11, reading through chapter 6, verse 3. If you're able, I invite you to stand as we read the written Word of God. The Lord Jesus once said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Hebrews 5, starting with verse 11. About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works of faith toward God and of instructions about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. Friends, the grass will wither and the flowers will fall, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. Pray with me. Our God and Heavenly Father, as we approach thy holy word, we pray that you would remove uh, any distraction from this place, that we might listen and remember and understand and respond in a way that is pleasing unto Thee. Lord, may the Holy Spirit work among us. Continue to prune us, Father, to cut us back in areas where we need to grow so that we can flourish, that we can thrive as children of God. We ask all of this in Jesus' precious name. And all God's people said, Amen. Friends, please be seated. Warning. Okay, when I say that word, what's the connotation that comes into your mind? For some people, when they hear the word warning, they're very fearful. Some people get scared. Some people say, I don't care about any warning. I'm not going to pay attention to that. I'm going to just go and, and do my, my own thing. Not even acknowledge it. You know, we get warnings all the time in life, and it, it varies in the way people respond to them. You know, you get a tornado warning or a, a traffic warning about the, the rain, some type of warning. Everybody has a different reaction to, to warnings. Some people fear them. Some people disregard them. But some people appreciate warnings. Well, friends, let's remember the purpose of a warning. The purpose of a warning is to describe an event that indicates impending danger so that you are exhorted to take action to prevent or avoid the dangerous situation. And Michael, if you could do me a favor and put that on that screen back there as well, that would that'd be very helpful. So the purpose
purpose of a warning, again, it's to see an impending danger that's coming and to take action to prevent the situation that's getting ready to unfold. Let's remember about the Bible, what the Bible says about warnings, because in the Bible, God gives his people warnings, not so they could just disregard them, but to love them, to love these people by giving them a warning so that they would respond in a way that is helpful to them. Let's think about it. Think about the Garden of Eden. God gave Adam and Eve a warning. Don't eat of this tree lest you die. But they didn't heed that warning. Think about the warning God gave in the Exodus. You think about even that last plague where God says, the death angel is coming and will pass over you only if the blood of the lamb is put on the side and above your doorpost, right? And if the blood of the lamb is not there, your firstborn will certainly die. We know that Pharaoh didn't heed that warning, did he? He completely disregarded that warning and his firstborn died. But God gives us warnings, friends, so that we heed them, we understand them, and we respond to them in a way to avoid this impending danger. And we find that warnings are some of the most loving things that God could ever do for us. And I mention this because as we look at the book of Hebrews, do you remember the outline I gave you several weeks ago? We found not one, not two, but six warnings in the book of Hebrews. We've already talked about two of them. Do you remember that first warning? We'll put that picture up on the screen. Warning number one from Hebrews chapter two. We said, warning, you are drifting away from Christ. That's what the author of Hebrews is saying. You're drifting away from Christ. And I told you that story Maybe your family's done this as well. My family was in the ocean one time just hanging out and talking. And we were there for about 45 minutes. And we looked up and we had, we had drifted maybe 300 feet away from where we started. Because the current was, was pulling us. So we didn't even realize it. And what the author of Hebrews is saying is, man, you're drifting away from Christ. You're slowly, methodically just moving away from Christ. Warning, don't drift away from Jesus so that you walk away from him. The Bible says it this way. Don't neglect such a great salvation. Warning, pay attention to what's going on. Warning number two, we saw from Hebrews 3. We'll put that on the screen. That warning was, don't have a hard heart towards God. Don't have an evil, unbelieving, disobedient heart that leads you to fall away from the living God. That leads you to not believe in God. Well, brothers and sisters, as we move today to chapter 5, we get to that third warning. And it's a warning that continues all the way into chapter 6. It's a quite long warning, but we learn that this third warning is not really anything new. In fact, it's a continuation of these first two warnings. And friends, today I want you to know that this third warning is all about apostasy. 
apostasy. Friends, if you have your bulletins with you, look on the back. Three points today concerning apostasy. First of all, let's define what that word means. What Some people don't even know what that means. What do you mean, Pastor Adam, by apostasy? And then secondly, the Bible teaches us to watch out for spiritual immaturity. And then maybe third and finally, the point that the Hebrews makes is don't give up. You know, the whole theme of Hebrews is Jesus is better, so don't give up. You see that as our third point today. But let's look first of all at that first point. Let's define apostasy. So let's go ahead and say it. It's the pink elephant in the room. The pink elephant in the room. What is a pink elephant in the room? You know, when we say that, it's, it's something that we say is a problem. It's a problem that people don't want to talk about. It's there. You can't avoid it. It's there, but you just don't want to talk about it, right? You know, we just got through the holidays. And the old saying goes, you know, when you go to Thanksgiving or to, to Christmas with your family, don't talk about the two pink elephants in the room. Don't talk about politics. Don't talk about religion, because those things can be problems. Yeah, we know they're there, but let's just choose not to talk about it. Now listen, if you know me and you know my family, my brother is a politician, and I'm a pastor. (laughs) All we had was pink elephants every single Thanksgiving and Christmas. We talk about pink elephants all the time. But a lot of times you're encouraged to avoid the pink elephant because it can become awkward or um, you just don't want to talk about it. Well, well, friends, I want you to know that 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 word apostasy, it's pink elephant. It's a pink elephant, but instead of avoiding it, the author of Hebrews hits it head on. And that's our goal today is to hit that head on. So what is it? What is it? Here's a great definition from Dr. Mike Kruger. Mike's the president of RTS Charlotte here. Uh, What an apostate is, he says, someone who seemed to be a believer was part of Christ's visible church, participated in the community of faith, and then later rejects Christ, turns away from sound teaching, and leaves the church. Wow. That's a big pink elephant, isn't it? You say, Pastor Adam, you're telling me that there are people who look like Christians, act like Christians, talk like Christians, but one day these people walk away from their perceived faith and leave the church and we find out that they're really not Christians? Yes. That's exactly what the Bible is saying today. The Bible is saying, yes, that happens. And you might think it's a pink elephant, but we're going to talk about it. This might feel hard. This might seem uncomfortable. But the Bible says it's the right thing to do to talk about this, dear friends. Now, before I go any further, I want to clarify something. I am not talking about someone who loses their salvation. 
The Bible says if you are truly a Christian, if you truly know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, you will persevere therein to the end. That great passage from John chapter 10, Jesus says, I know my sheep and my sheep are in my hand and I'm in the Father's hand. And Ephesians 1 says, you're sealed with the Holy Spirit. You're never going to escape the mighty grip of God. If you are truly a believer, you will persevere therein to the end. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a person who appears on the outside to be a Christian, but never truly is. And this person walks away from his or her perceived faith. In the Bible, the best example of this is Judas. I had Blair read that passage to you earlier today to get your mind thinking about what went on in that room during the Last Supper. And let's be careful to understand something. We all know the story of Judas after it happened, don't we? We see things after the events of Judas, and we look back on the event. So in our minds, we know Judas as a betrayer, right? As, as someone who committed apostasy. But on this side of the event, sitting in that upper room with Jesus, as Jesus broke the bread, the disciples had no idea that it was going to be Judas. When Jesus said, one of you will betray me. If you read the synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you see the disciples asking, is it me? It, is it me? There was no one in that room that said, ah, Jesus, we know who it is. Give me a harder question, Jesus. All 11 of the rest of us, we know who it is. We know it's Judas. Did that happen? No. Why? Because Judas blended in. They weren't able to distinguish him on this side of the story the way you and I can distinguish him on this side of the story. Think about that. It was indistinguishable for these, these disciples. They were confused. Who is it? And as we consider this, the first thing we learn about apostasy is that apostates are very, very hard to identify. There are, there's, there's no special magic, no special goggles. Dr. Kruger used to say, wouldn't it be cool if pastors had these cool goggles to look out and say, oh, you're apostate and, and, and you're not, and I can see... I don't have that ability. You don't have that ability. In fact, we find that apostasy ends up being something very surprising. As it was with Judas. Why? Because the apostate finds it easy to blend in, to act the part. Think about how Judas lived his life for three years. He blended in, didn't he? He followed Jesus for those three years. He watched the water be turned into wine. He watched the man healed at Bethesda. He watched the blind man be healed in John 9. He saw Lazarus raised from the dead. He said this amazing statement, Mary, why did you break this perfume? 
and wipe it on Jesus' feet. Shouldn't we have sold this and given it to the poor? Man, that sounds wonderful. Judas heard the teaching of Jesus. He sat there for the Sermon on the Mount. He heard the kingdom parables. He was in Jesus' top 12. And if you looked from the outside at his life, you would say, yes, this man is certainly a follower of Jesus. He goes with him wherever he wants to go. But the whole time, he was faking it. He simply blended in. So how does this apply to us, dear friends? First of all, let's understand this. Apostates are on the inside, not the outside. Apostates are inside the church, not outside. Apostates can be someone who stand in this very spot and take the five vows. Apostates can be someone who's on the ministry team, the missions team, the youth team, the core kids planning team, the mercy team. Apostates can be that main leader who sits on the session. One out of 12 of Jesus' disciples was an apostate. As you know, I'm a math guy. So I took one and divided it by 12. And what did I get? 8.3%. 8.3% of Jesus' top 12 were fakers, unbelievers. And if 8.3% of Jesus' top 12 are fakers and believers, what does that say even about us today? The Bible is calling us to address the pink elephant in the room. The Bible is calling you to look into the Word of God and to look at the Lord God and examine yourself before Him. And saying, am I really here? Because I believe this, I embrace this by grace through faith. Or am I really here just going through the motions? Am I faking it? Am I simply blending in? Is it so hard for people to identify my apostasy because I do such a good job of pretending? The Bible gives us yet another clear example of apostasy even other than Judas do you remember what Blair read just a moment ago about the seed being tossed on the ground the parable from Mark 4 says that the sower has seed in his hand and he is tossing that seed onto the ground and the Bible says there's four types of soil there's the hard soil there's the thorny soil there's the rocky soil and there's the good soil I want us to zoom in specifically on the rocky soil. If you remember from that passage, it said when the seed goes in the rocky soil, it immediately shoots up. Okay? We've seen seeds grow before, seeds shoot up, and, and you look at, the, at that which shoots up and you say, ah, there must be real life there. It looks to me like it's growing just fine. I see it. There's, I see some evidence of growth. Ah, that must be, yes, a healthy, healthy plant. And 
It has this appearance of life, but we know it has an appearance of life simply because it's blending in with other true plants. But then, as time goes on, the sun comes out and begins to scorch the plant. Maybe it starts to rain and the wind starts to blow. And what happens? That shoot that sprang up, it blows away. And do you know why it blew away? The Bible says it because it had no root. It had no root. It had the appearance of life, but it was never grounded. It was never supported in any type of soil. It, it didn't go down. It had no life. It had no root. And friends, isn't that what happened to Judas? Didn't he spring up for three years and people say, yeah, he, he's alive. He's a follower of Christ. He's been doing this for three years. He follows Jesus but then you get to the sun coming out and it starts raining and the wind blows in Judas's life and he betrays the Lord his God and he finds himself an apostate. Jesus said it this way, Woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better that that man had never been born. He was hard to identify. He blended in, but only for a short time. So friends, that's the definition of apostasy. So as the author of Hebrews moves forward, he starts talking about spiritual immaturity, which is our second point today. And I want you to know, as we walk through these points, he's not saying if you're spiritually immature, you're not a Christian. Well, I'm glad he's not saying that either. What he's saying is, if you're showing signs of spiritual immaturity, you are a prime target for the devil. Because the devil is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. I'll never forget Dr. Kruger's example. He says, think about the lion attacking the wildebeest or the gazelle. He says, he doesn't, the lion doesn't go after the mom and dad. He goes after the immature the baby antelope, the baby wildebeest, because they're so easily picked off. You've seen those videos on National Geographic. You go after that one. And the author of Hebrews wants us to know that if you're living a spiritual immature life, that doesn't necessarily mean you are an unbeliever, but you have to understand that Satan is coming after you He's coming after you to pick you off, to pull you out, and maybe show you that you really aren't a believer. So for the believer who hears this warning and who heeds this warning, you say, oh my goodness, let me see the spiritual maturity, immaturity in my life so that I might run towards Jesus and know what it's like to be a sanctified child of God. Watch out for spiritual immaturity and here is how the author of hebrews defines it and this friends has some great illustrations do you see the illustration in the text when it talks about drinking milk instead of eating meat you see that 
verse 12 says at the end of it, you need milk, not solid food. You need milk. We all understand this illustration, especially if you have kids. If you have a, a, a baby, they drink out of a, a bottle, they, they, they need milk. But if you've had children, think about your one-year-old drinking that milk out of a bottle and thinking, think about that same child when he or her is, is six years old. What if your six-year-old still drank out of a bottle? Or maybe even move it another few years, a 12-year-old drinking out of a bottle. You're like, there's a growing problem here. This child is, is not getting the nourishment that he or she needs. Yeah, I can understand them drinking milk at age one, but age six, they should be eating some meat. Age 12, as they go into teenagers, man, they should be having some really good food by that point. They're, they're missing out on so much food. They're immature. They should have meat, but they're still drinking milk. And the author of Hebrews is coming to his audience and saying, look, you guys are very spiritually immature. And he defines it in four ways. Here we go. You ready? Verse 11. One of the signs of your immaturity is that you're dull in hearing. Do you see that in verse 11? Dull in hearing. The translation there is lazy in hearing. You know, I was a, I was a teacher for several years at a Christian academy up in Huntersville. And I can remember as a teacher walking in and some of my students, oh, they're tired today. They're slouching in the chair. Their head is laying on the desk. They're not interested in learning how to factor trinomials today for some reason. Could you imagine that type of disinterest? I can't. Throw my glasses on. And, you know, you, you, say, you say, listen, listen, listen. This is important. Well, there's some importance in factoring trinomials, but there's much greater importance in listening to the preached word in listening to someone teach the Word of God, in listening to Scripture being read and explained. But these Hebrews, they were dull in hearing. They were, they were lazy in hearing. And we know what James says, be quick to hear, right? Slow to speak, slow to become angry. I want to give you meat, but you can only take milk. Because you're not, you're not hearing. You're not listening. Secondly, you see it in verse 12. You need someone to teach you again. See, if you're not listening to the word being preached, then when spiritual topics come up, you have the need to be taught that same lesson again. Let's go back to the math example, since y'all were loving this and following with me, right? Do you know how to square a binomial? Does anybody know how to square a binomial? Okay, we have two. Okay, great. This is Algebra 1. I, I, I remember teaching students how to square a binomial. And I, would, I spent like every day teaching them how to square a binomial. But every day I taught it, I would come in the next day and it was like a blank slate. Like all the rest of you guys who didn't raise your hands. It was, it was a blank slate. And yeah, Brock, my son's raising his hand. He, yeah, it's him. Um, so it's like, 
I, I tried as a teacher to teach this, but like they're just not listening. They, they don't get it. So they need to be taught again. So let's move past binomials. Do you ever find yourself in a place spiritually where clear doctrine has been taught? You haven't listened to it because you're dull and you're lazy and you're hearing. So you have the need to be retaught again and again and again. The author of Hebrews says that's a sign of spiritual immaturity. And that's the sign that Satan is going to pounce on you. He wants to pick off the, the baby, the little one, the one that has no understanding. So instead of having someone teach you again and again, the Bible is saying to you, progress in your sanctification. Grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. In fact, he says, you should be teachers of these things, but you're still students of these things. You need to progress until you can actually understand and teach these things. Number three, verse 13, you're unskilled in the word. Unskilled in the word. In the word, that's asking yourself, how, how good am I at understanding my Bible? How skilled am I, as Paul told Timothy, at rightly dividing the word of truth? Do I have a good biblical framework in my mind in how to not only live for today, but move forward towards tomorrow? Do you know that we live in an age where the Bible is so available? It is so available. I mean, there was a time in this world where, where people would beg to have a copy of the Bible. And there are still places in the world where that happens. But it's not the United States. You could pull your phone out right now. And before I ended this sermon, you could download how many copies of the Bible. You could pull up Bible studies, Bible programs. And the sad thing is, even though it's so available, there are so many people who are still unskilled in it, who have no knowledge of it at all. And that is a sign, he says, of immaturity. The Bible is called a sword. A sword. You know, those in ancient times who fought with swords, they were trained in how to use that sword. Are you trained... And how to use the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. You think about 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All Scripture is God-breathed and it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Have you been trained in the righteousness of the Scriptures? If not, I invite you, dive into these sermons on Sundays. Dive into a Bible study here at Church of the Redeemer. Dive into a life group here at Redeemer. Learn the Word of God so that you can be skilled in the Word. And, that, and this last one is, the, 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 the last one is lacking discernment to distinguish good from evil. Do you see that in verse 14? But solid food is for the mature, for those who have... Um, their power of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good and evil. Friends, it is amazing to me how far this country has fallen. It is amazing to me how this world is teaching you to love evil and to hate good. And it is amazing to me to see how many Christians are falling into these traps in this world because they can't discern good from evil. 
This world is going to teach you to embrace evil, to call what God says is right, to call that wrong, and to call sin right. And we as Christians have to have discernment to know that which is right and wrong, not not for the Republican Party or the Democratic Party, but before God Almighty. To do that which is right in front of God at all times because He is the Lord of our lives and we need to live under that Lordship. And without knowledge of the Word of God, you're not going to be able to discern right from wrong. And the writer of Hebrews is writing to these people and saying, look, I see these elements of spiritual immaturity in your life and I'm worried that you're going to get plucked off by the evil one. He's he's not saying you're not a Christian. He's saying there are signs telling me that that you might be faking this. And if you don't watch out, you're going to be plucked off and be an apostate from the church. So let this warning encourage you to run the other way. In fact, when we run, when we hear warnings like this and we run towards Jesus, that's actually a sign that we're really His. So the third and final point is don't give up. You see it there in chapter 6. The first verse says, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. There, there it is. It's time to leave elementary school. Do you remember when you left elementary school? Were you like, oh man, I want to stay here because the teachers are so kind and there's bunnies and flowers everywhere in my room and I don't want to go to that middle school place. It's so comfortable here. And can I just repeat the fifth grade or sixth grade again? But you're like, no, it's time. It's time to move on. Time to grow up. It's time to go to middle school. It's time to go to high school. Time to go to college. It's what you see the Bible telling you in your spiritual life. It's time to leave. And by leaving, it doesn't mean forget or do away with. Like, you don't forget the things you learn in elementary school or do away with them when you go to middle school. But when you leave, you move on to greater things. You move on to more nutritious things. You get off the milk and you start eating meat. And that's what the writer is saying. Take the next step. Grow up. Make progress. And then he says, you've got the foundation. You've got the milk. There's no need to relay the foundation." And the foundation you see in the text are are things like this. Um, Things like um, repentance and faith. That's coming to Jesus. That's foundational. Things like washings. That's baptism. You've got that. Things like the resurrection and the judgment. You you know that Jesus is coming back and we're going to be raised to life. But is that all you know? Because if it is, it's time to leave elementary school and grow up. And to keep on growing in your faith. Because that is an evidence of knowing Jesus. Well, friends, let me close this with one more story. We talked a lot about Judas. He's the prime example of apostasy. There's one more illustration I want to talk to you about. And just follow me here, this this one last point. There's an Old Testament example of apostasy I want to talk about. Lot's wife. Do you remember Lot in the family of Abraham? 
You know, Lot's wife is so minor in the Bible that we don't even know her name. She's simply referred to as Lot's wife. Yet Jesus thinks that she is so important. In the New Testament, he mentions her. He says in the Gospels, remember Lot's wife. Why would he say that? Why would Jesus emphasize some person so minor? Friends, it's simply because Lot's wife had all the blessings. If you are a child of a believing family, lean forward right now and pay attention to what I'm getting ready to say. Lot's wife had all the benefits of a Christian family. She grew up in the context of the covenants, of the blessings, and the knowledge of God. Yet she never, ever believed in God. I'm going to read to you a quote from the book Holiness by Bishop J.C. Ryle. If you've never read that book, please read that book. It's the best book you could ever read on sanctification. But listen to what Bishop Ryle says concerning Lot's wife. It's a little long. But bear with me. When Abram first received the promises, it was probable Lot's wife was there. When he built his altar by the tent, it is probable she was there. When her husband was taken captive and delivered by God's interference, she was there. When Melchizedek, king of Salem, came forth to meet Abraham with bread and wine, she was there. When the angels came to Sodom and warned her husband to flee, she saw them. When they took them by the hand and led them out of the city, she was one of those whom they helped to escape. Once more, I say, these were no small privileges. Yet what good effect had all these privileges on the heart of Lot's wife? None at all. Notwithstanding, all her opportunities and means of grace, notwithstanding all her special warnings and messages from heaven, she lived and died graceless, godless, impenitent, and unbelieving. The eyes of her understanding were never opened. Her conscience was never really aroused and quickened. Her will was never really brought into a state of obedience to God. Her affections were never really set upon things above. The form of religion which she had had was kept up for fashion's sake and not from feeling. It was a cloak worn for the sake of pleasing her company, but not any from sense of its value. She did as others did around her in Lot's house. She conformed to her husband's ways. She made no opposition to his religion. She allowed herself to be passively towed along in its wake. But all this time, her heart was wrong in the sight of God. The world was in her heart, and the heart was in the world. In this state she lived, and in this state she died. And here's where he turns his attention to us. Listen to this. I ask the children of religious parents to mark well what I am saying. It is the highest privilege to be the child of a godly father and mother, to be brought up in the midst of many prayers. It is a blessed thing indeed to be taught the gospel from our earliest infancy and to hear of sin and Jesus and the Holy Spirit and holiness in heaven. 
from the first moment we can remember anything. But oh, take heed that you do not remain barren and unfruitful in the sunshine of all these privileges. Beware lest your heart remains hard and penitent and worldly, notwithstanding the many advantages you enjoy. You cannot hear the kingdom of God on the credit of your parents' religion. You must eat of the bread of life for yourself and have the witness of the Spirit in your own heart. You must have repentance of your own, faith of your own, and sanctification of your own. Friends, are we willing to grapple with the pink elephant that's in the room? Some questions I encourage all of us to ask of ourselves. Are we blending in just like Judas? Or are we really believers? Are we pretending to follow Jesus just like Judas, but are we really part of that 8.3%? Are you a shoot that springs up from rocky soil, looking like you have life, but there's no root in your life? Do you find yourself immature in your faith, ready to be pounced on by a lion? Friend, today, if you're dull in hearing, hear this warning and listen to the word. Today, if someone needs to reteach you all the time, hear the warning and be encouraged not only to listen, but to learn. If you're unskilled today in the word, hear the warning Put, your pla- put yourself in a place where you know the Word of God so that you can have discernment when you need it the most. And if you find yourself in elementary school, over and over, holding on to a bottle of milk, isn't it time to eat some meat? Where are you in your spiritual life? Don't compare yourself to me or the people sitting beside you. Look into the the face of God. Say, Lord, am I really yours? Is my faith for real? And Lord, if, if it is, and I find myself not growing, drinking this milk, let me hear this warning and run towards you that I might grow and be nourished even as a believer today. Friend, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, Jesus' arms are open wide. Come to me, Jesus says, all who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for this this text. Thank you for graciously giving us warnings. And the good news is that we know from your word that those who are truly believers in Jesus are in your hand. You will never let us go. We know that we don't have to wonder if we're saved or hope that we're saved, that we can know that we're saved. Yet, Lord, for those even in this room who might be struggling with apostasy or who might be saying, I'm a faker, I really know it, but I'm part of that 8.3% and no one knows that, Lord, would you deal with them today in your loving care and bring them to faith in Jesus. And may our faith thrive as we grow in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.